Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. You may have missed it, but a week ago this past Friday, uh, the world came to an end. Life uh, as I have known it came to a crashing halt on July 7th uh, at 5.45 p.m. Because that was the moment in which I realized that I had lost my date book. Now, I do not have any words that can adequately describe the panic and the despair that swept over me. My entire life is defined and formed and structured by that little black book. And now suddenly I didn't know what to do or where to be or really who, who I was. Well, after a sleepless night, uh, the world did start up again the next day when I found my date book uh, on a desk in the parish office. But the learning of that experience was my feeling, the intensity of my feeling out of control and of realizing that in fact, most of the time, I have a lot less control of just about everything than I would like to think. Now, I had a similar experience a week ago yesterday. This is one other example. I was coming home from a baseball game on Staten Island, and I arrived at the ferry terminal just in time to get on the 9.30 ferry, and then a voice announced over the loudspeaker, the 9.30 ferry has been canceled. All passengers may take the 10 p.m. ferry. Apparently, the New York City Department of Transportation was not aware of the importance of my need to control my schedule of travel to Manhattan. I saw a man in some sort of a uniform, and I marched right up to him, and I said, Sir, may I please have an explanation for this cancellation? And he smiled at me and said politely, "Um, I'm in the janitorial service here. I empty the wastebaskets. (laughs) We have less control of things than we would like to think. Now, those two examples I've given are just pretty light. But as I look out at all of you and as I look at myself, uh, I know perfectly well that you and I have had some experiences of not being in control, and maybe are having them right at this moment, that are a lot more serious. Experiences of not being in control of our possessions, or our jobs, or our relationships, or our health. When you are sitting in the doctor's office, waiting for the doctor to come in, to tell you the results of all those tests, you don't have much control over the news that you are about to hear. So how we're doing with our control is on my mind this morning. And I need to say that if you are thinking right now that actually you have this control thing in your life pretty much um, under control, then the Bible is probably not a book that you will want to read. Because the Bible has something to say about a certain lack of control, not just in the world outside, but also in our inward spirits. Last Sunday, as you may recall, Ben preached a terrific sermon on the passage 
in the letter of Paul to the Romans where Paul says, I do not do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. And he wasn't exaggerating in using those strong words. I do the very thing I hate. Which is to say, I dream of being in control of my thoughts and my feelings and my words and my actions. And then sometimes I find that I have no control at all. I dream of being free and I find that I am enslaved. Now, when Paul Zoll and I were young curates many years ago down at Grace Church just south of here and Fitz Allison was the rector, the three of us would get together every morning for about a half hour to read a little bit of the Bible and then to talk about it. And for about four years in a row, every morning, we read Romans chapter 8. I would say that if I was on a desert island and only had one chapter in the entire Bible that I could read for the rest of my life, it would be Romans chapter 8, 39 of the most extraordinary verses in the Bible. And this morning and the next two Sundays, we are going to be hearing from Romans chapter 8. And I would pick that chapter in part because it speaks so directly to the dilemma of my lack of control. In verse 6, which we've just heard, St. Paul says, To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Which is to say, to set the mind on your ability to control your inner and outward world is death. But to set your mind on the control that God offers you in Jesus is life and peace. St. Paul says that the immensity of my tendency to do the very things I hate, the immensity of my lack of control, points to how enslaved I really am. And as Ben pointed out in his sermon last week, we deal with this slavery by finally being brought to the point, in the words of St. Paul, of saying, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And if you're with me at all in this sermon, you understand that referring to yourself as wretched and having a body of death is sometimes not an exaggeration at all. Then, and this is why we're doing three weeks on Romans 8, in this chapter, Paul answers his own question. He speaks directly to the kind of control that God offers as an antidote to our failed self-control. He says this, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. Now listen to how the theologian William Barclay uh, translates that same verse. He says, You did not receive a state whose dominating characteristic is slavery. You received a state whose dominating characteristic is adoption. And that is the good news this morning. That's the good news of a loving God responding to a missing date book and a canceled ferry and an inward spirit that doesn't have much control. St. Paul uses one of the great metaphors of the Bible 
to point us to the freedom from slavery that is found in being loved by Jesus. He says that you and I are adopted. Paul declares that in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our loving God has paid in full for our adoption papers, an adoption out of failed self-control, and into into a relationship whose fundamental mark is forgiveness and unconditional love. And we do nothing to earn or deserve, deserve this gift. God simply steps into our lives in the person of Jesus in order to adopt us. Out of our frailty, into God's strength. Out of our failed freedom, into the freedom of being God's beloved daughters and sons because of what Jesus did on the cross and out of that tomb. There is nothing more full of the peace that passes human understanding, nothing more defining of the real meaning of life than being adopted into a relationship in which you and I receive a love that is not marked by conditions, a love that hangs in there when I lose my datebook, a love that is rock-steady when I do the very thing I hate, a love that will not let me go, come what may. And it's all summed up in a short story by Ernest Hemingway that's titled The Capital of the World. In this story, there's a father who comes to Madrid to search for his son Paco, who has disgraced the family and run away. But he can't find him anywhere. And so he finally places an ad in the city paper. And the ad reads, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Papa. And when the father arrives at the hotel at the appointed hour, he cannot believe his eyes. He sees before him a crowd of 800 young men, all named Paco, waiting for him and every single one of them aching to be given a clean slate, to be delivered from a body of death. So here's one little picture of what it's like to be adopted by Jesus. Some years ago, I was on a mission trip to a church in the Dominican Republic, and on the third morning of our vacation Bible school, the children, some 400 of them, uh, began to gather at the door of the church uh, an hour before the program began. And when the doors opened, they poured in. And one little five-year-old girl spotted a woman on our mission team named Anne Marie. The girl charged across the church, flung her arms around Anne Marie who is, by the way, an elderly single woman, and hugged her hard. And Anne-Marie just stood there with tears in her eyes. And then she said, Well, I might as well go back to bed because the day cannot get any better than this. There was a quality of unconditional love in that little girl's hug that made missing date books and late fairies just fade away. The full bore, 100%, no questions asked embrace of that little girl 
is what it's like to be adopted as a daughter, as a son of our gracious God. So I want to close with some words from the first reading this morning from the prophet Isaiah, because it is about adoption that Isaiah was so excited when he said, you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. I invite you this afternoon to go out into Central Park or some other park near you and to watch the wind blowing the leaves of a tree and to know in that moment that the tree and all of creation and all the angels and all the archangels are clapping their hands and shouting for joy because you are adopted. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.